Oh, I, you maybe you see the I just closed on a 96 unit property yesterday. Yeah, I saw that. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a year in the making. So and I'm too late for that, right? Yeah, yeah, we <laughs> we're already yeah, we, we had that all buttoned up a year ago. It just took us a while to get it closed. The, the goal of this podcast is really to tell doctors out there that you're not just a doctor. You know, you're a doctor, you could, could be a real estate investor, you could be a, a, an author, you could be a dancer, you could be a stripper, whatever, right? The, the, idea, <laughs> the idea is just because you're a doctor, you're not limited to just doctoring. Okay, folks, welcome back to the show. And kidding aside, I'm doing this podcast because in speaking with a lot of my colleagues and other healthcare professionals, I realize how much we love real estate and invest in real estate. So instead of me talking about this out of thin air, I decided to um, engage a colleague and a friend of mine who does this for a living and give us the basics of what real estate investing for physicians really look like. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. I would like to apologize to the audience. After I did the recording, I realized that the uh, microphone on my side was kind of wonky. So sorry about that. And please bear with me uh, for this recording. However, the microphone for Quinton's side should be okay. Overall, the episode should provide enough information for learning points. And please forgive me for the microphone mishaps. Welcome back to the podcast, How How a Financial Health Doc podcast, and I am here with Mr. Quentin D'Souza. So today's podcast is all about real estate investment and real estate investing. You know, I like to do podcasts about everything personal finance, and I already have two podcasts about real estate and why doctors love real estate uh, investment. Now, we all love to buy our own home, but some of us go beyond and buy multiple homes and multiple of them are investment. But today with Quentin, we're going to dive a little bit deep into the topic because uh, Quentin is an expert. Finally, I was able to get my hands on an expert who's willing to talk to me. Uh, and uh, Quentin himself, he could talk forever. So I think we can talk forever if we wanted to. Uh, so I'm going to introduce to you, Quentin. Uh, Quentin, welcome to, to the show. Oh, thanks for ha having me, Boo. I, I really appreciate it. Perfect. Uh, so Quentin is a multiple award-winning real estate investor and a trusted authority on real estate uh, investing. Um, he's a Ontario certified teacher, and that's important because we're going to talk a little bit about that, and holds two university degrees and also includes a master in education. 
So Quentin appears on, you know, multiple local and national TV and radio uh, shows and interviewed in national publications and has been a keynote speaker to large audience of real estate and investors. Quentin has a company uh, called Upper Ridge Homes, Homes, which is the buy, fix, refinance, and rent, which is we call Burr in the real estate investment uh, industry. Uh, he used that strategy on long-term rental properties in Ontario, Canada. Uh, and Quentin owns real estate portfolio that excess that it is in excess of eighty million dollars of asset under management across Canada and the U.S. And I, and Quentin has just recently closed on a property of ninety four units. Right, one year of work in the making. So congratulations, Quentin. Thank you. That's great. And actually, that uh, I have to update my profile. It's actually 125 million in assets. Uh, that's uh, so. I'm I'm glad you, you you let me know about that. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. And, and the other thing that uh, I didn't mention yet is Quentin is is the author of Property Management Toolbox. So how to guide how a how to guide for Ontario real estate investor and landlord. Uh, and he also has another book called uh, The Filling Vacancies Toolbox, a step-by-step guide for Ontario real estate investors. And he has four other books that I'm not going to name today, but you know what? I, I went to Amazon. I saw your, I put in your name. Uh, the few books came up uh, and then Amazon is on. So you want to buy all of them for this discount? I'm like, of course. So I clicked and that within 24 hours, I bought all your books. So I'm going to make sure, sure I'm going to read them uh, carefully over the next uh, few weeks because I really wanted to pick your brain and learn more about how you do it. So, Quentin, uh, anything I missed about the introduction or things that we should know, know about before we begin? Um, so I have, I'm the father of two, two boys, uh, 18 and 14, who love baseball. And I've been married for, oh my, I, I, don't, I don't know, 20-something years. 20 something years. Perfect. So still going strong. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Okay. So we have you on the show today to talk everything real estate. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I think um, providers in the, in the uh, healthcare industry uh, know a lot about healthcare and medicine, Uh, but when it comes to other, you know, items and uh, domains of personal finance, we're not as good. Um, and definitely in real estate, we're not as good. However, that being said, you know, everybody loves to into invest real estate, especially in Canada and especially in the GTA, uh, Vancouver and Montreal, right? And even Calgary from time to time. So we like to dabble and we like to play in these type of investment. And why not? It's a good investment if you're in these markets. So I have you on the, on the line because I want to pick your brain and ask you a few questions. Mm-hmm. So for physicians, there are probably many reasons also why we would want to invest in a real estate. And I'm not just talking about the primary residence, but in 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 real estate that is for investment purposes. Uh, so you were a teacher before, and yep. you became a real estate investor. So tell us a little bit about your journey and the why of why you did it. Yeah, so back in 2004, I started to dabble in a whole bunch of different things. I, I bought a, a property. I um, was doing um, so on the side. I was consulting with publishers. Aside from my uh, my day job, 
Um, I, as I was a consultant at the school board level, I, um, I was going towards becoming a vice principal and principal. I have my principal qualification. And, um, and then I was also running small businesses on the side. So I would do, I would work um, on different projects for uh, different organizations. Um, I, you know, I did uh, option trading, I did um, website design, I did a bunch of different things. And I slowly realized that my investment in that one property made me more in the four years than all my other, uh, even my income combined. And so I was, I decided, uh, you know, in 2008, that I would go, you know, uh, continue to grow my real estate portfolio and focus on it. And so that's what I did in 2008. I was buying four or five properties a year and they would be single family homes or homes that I could add an accessory apartment to. I would buy things that needed work. Um, we would do the work. I'd have a contractor go in, do the work. We would refinance the property and then we would hold it. Um, when I started to to do this in 2008 with my first, you know, four or five Burr properties, I had uh, some of my friends and family ask me what I was doing. And then in 2009, I started to take on partners who were interested in, in learning and, and taking advantage of what I was doing. They would provide the money, I would do all the work. And then I continued to grow my portfolio. By 2013, I had exceeded uh, my monthly income with my real estate portfolio. And I had to make a decision at that point, either continue with teaching and uh, go down the administrator route or um, focus on my real estate portfolio. Well, I was really enjoying what I was doing. And a lot of people thought I was crazy because at that time, you know, in Ontario, I was on the sunshine list. And, um, and so it was, uh, uh, you know, convincing my wife to, to say, hey, let, like, let's explore this. And um, what I had actually done is in 2012 to 2013, I banked my income from my job and I had used the income from the real estate portfolio. So I kind of demonstrated that this is a viable, you know, income stream that would be there. And then I uh, left teaching in 2013, 2014, and I've been a full-time real estate investor ever since. It was, it's been great from an um, income perspective, but definitely from a net worth perspective. I, I could never have achieved what I have done to this point if I uh, wasn't uh, in, um, investing full-time. And I mean, when I quit my job, I, I actually started to flip properties. So I flipped a dozen houses that first year. I used the same strategy, the buy, fix, refinance, and rent. But instead of renting it, I would just sell it. And I was um, making, uh, actually on my first flip project, I made more money on my first flip than I did my whole year before when I was teaching. And so it, I was, it was like, I was hooked at that point. And um, I continued to, to go down that path. I, I didn't have a, a networking group who, who could help me when I first started in 2008. So I, I was meeting with people. I created uh, like a networking group where I could meet other people. And um, that's grown over the years. Um, and so I still do that from a 
passion and teaching perspective because I'm, I still consider myself a, an educator. I just do it a little differently. Uh, I have the books to, to express that also to pass on my knowledge to my kids, because I know that, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. And I love them to be able to do what I do when they choose to do it. And so that's, that's a, a, another reason to have the books. Um, the books certainly don't add much to my wealth, but they add a lot to my, my, my life worth. <laughs> and so um, from a life worth perspective, they, they've been very helpful. And um, yeah, so I mean, that's how I, I went down the path. Um, I still have that passion for education, but I really um, have focused most of my time on growing my real estate portfolio. And 2015, I started, I discovered apartment buildings and I continued to, to buy apartment buildings at that point um, with, uh, with uh, partners. And that has been where I've really focused. I do the same thing in apartment buildings that I did before in the one to four unit space. I'm just able to do larger buildings and the process takes a little longer, but it's like doing 11, you know, duplexes or 11 burrs at the same time, right? It just takes, um, instead of taking six months to a year, it takes, you know, three to five years, but, uh, uh, but I'm able to do multiple buildings, which is, uh, which is a great strategy for me. So that's how I've done it. It is like totally uh, changed the way I do things. I have a lot of flexibility. I decide what I'm doing during the day and um, what, you know, and I, I'm able to to do activities that I enjoy. Like the end of June, I went with my oldest son to um, on the Inca Trail and we did Machu Picchu together. And that was really fun. We took a whole week and, and did that. Um, my plan is next year to do Kilimanjaro and then do uh, safari after. So there's uh, some flexibility that that lifestyle has given me that I just wouldn't have had before. So um, that's some of the reasons why I did it and why I, I encourage other people to have that sort of income. You, it doesn't mean if you really enjoy your job and your profession, I'm not suggesting that you quit it. Uh, I'm just saying, make it optional. <laughs> so, you know, and that's what real estate can do. Um, you know, people can, can take that in different directions. Maybe they can work less and um, enjoy more, or they can, you know, have uh, a way for them to uh, retire and have income that continues to come in what they were used to before. So, there's, there's lots of different ways to, to use real estate and it's really up to the person. But for me, it gave me that, that freedom to, to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I think you made a, a, a few good points there. I think the first one was you know, to stem out of a, I think is sort of an investigation of what can I do other than teaching. And you started small, you started with uh, burrs, uh, buy, finance, uh, fix, and then uh, refinance and then rent out. You started with not more a single, single family home, and then you move to, you know, four units home, and then you now move to apartment buildings. So there was a natural progression, you know, of 
of investor, but there are multiple, multiple ways of investing in real estate. Mm-hmm. And, and your story is not unsimilar to the story of one of my colleagues who started doing that. that. And so he started buying one home, one unit, and renovated it to make it a, a any pad. <laughs> Let's call it a nanny pad. So he built and, and segregated the home so that it becomes a two-door as opposed to say one door. And now he's you know bought that in and now renting it out. And I think he has been bitten by the bug. And uh, and now he's looking and and thinking of and, and instigating and, and I think all that is good. All that is you know it's good exercise to allow him to exercise skills that that he has gained in medicine, but now he applies it to real estate investment and and I encourage him to do so. And and he's I think he's going to do very well. And it, it sounds to me like he's taking very similar similar way to what you have done in two thousand and eight. You have told us the why, and I think out of out of what what told me, what's more important is the real estate and the income that generated from that allows you to buy back time, just time that you know is very precious that you can spend with your family and with your children and do the things that you like to do. And time is something that none of us have enough of, and as as health professionals, we definitely don't have enough of every single day. And that leads to burnout and that leads to discontent in our work. And, and I think part of that is that's why a lot of us are looking at, you know, what I call passive investment, uh, passive income, alternative revenue stream, stream, you know, name it what you want to name it, name it a side gig if you must, you know, so, or some people call it a side hustle. So in your case, you took the, at some point you took the dive, you, you put both feet into the lake. Uh, where some of us just, you know, slowly put our toes in. So talking about slowly putting our toes into the water, you have shown me a graph that talks about, you know, the spectrum of real estate investment going from active investment and to passive investment. So tell us a little bit about that. How did you come up with that idea? And where do you fit the different types of investments out there? Yeah, so I think that everybody is going to be um, in a different place at a different time. And one of the things that I, I, I really enjoy, you know, thinking and, and simplifying concepts that are sometimes difficult. Um, so what I wanted to do is create a chart that illustrated the time commitment versus a money commitment and the difference between being an active investor, a semi-passive investor, and a passive investor. And the idea behind it is that um, we, wherever you are, there is a place for you in real estate investing. Um, it just for you to decide what that is. Now, if you have a lot of time, then that is something that an active investor can can do. And an active investor is somebody who is uh, who has the ability to find great deals. Uh, maybe they invest in themselves by reading, going to courses, taking training, um, and they they want to great to gain income from the their their real estate portfolio, maybe they have an existing portfolio and and they want to scale it. And um, having the time to do that is is paramount for that type of success. Now, 
usually that could be somebody who wants to be an investor. They're a, maybe they're an active person, like a mortgage agent, a realtor, maybe they're in their trade, something like that, but they're, they're an active investor. Um, there may be other people who have some time available, uh, but they, and they have some money available. So they may not know where to go. So they're, they're semi-passive. They, they want to perhaps, this could be a person that maybe uh, buys a condominium, or it could be somebody who buys a single family home, uh, maybe doesn't do like the, the whole conversion process, because that conversion process is very much on the active side. Even if you're not doing it yourself, you still have to manage the, the team that does it. Um, so I would say a semi-passive person could be an active investor who wants to slow down. Uh, maybe they have uh, money, but they don't have the, the team. And so they have to, to find that, build that, and, and have their team do the work for them. Then there would be what I would call the passive investor. That's somebody who's probably a professional uh, business owner. They have you know, very little extra time. They have funds that they want to uh, place somewhere that's going to give them a higher return, but doesn't require a lot of their time to do that. Uh, maybe they want to invest in multiple deals uh, in order to diversify their income across different deals, uh, but they want a good return, but they don't want to do any work. <laughs> so, you know, depending on where you are in that spectrum, there are different opportunities for you in real estate. And once you decide on where you want to fit on that spectrum, then you can decide on the type of projects that you want. So for example, if you want to be an active investor, then you know you would you know you would build your real estate team. You would uh, learn more about you know what is a cash flow positive property that's able to support itself. What is appreciation? How does you know, depreciation work for real estate. You, you would be working on all of those components within that active role. And it would require time for you to commit to be able to do that. But, um, you know, you could do direct investment into, you know, condos. And then once you've got that, you know, asset and it's rolling along, you become more semi-passive, right? And, um, or you could invest now, there's a whole spectrum in the type of investing that you can do uh, in real estate. And I think sometimes we get stuck in thinking that either you buy a home or you buy a, a rental property and that's it. There are lots of different ways to invest in real estate. And, you know, you can buy that real estate uh, with a partner and you know the partner does the 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 active part of the work and you know you um get get a report or you get feedback from them on how that that's going you could be a private lender to real estate and uh, you know some some of the private lenders that i know um they were actually real estate investors before, but they wanted to get like, um, you know, an eight or 10% return uh, in interest 
on uh, like second mortgages, or they're looking to, to place first mortgages. So there's there's lots of different ways to do it. But, um, you know, depending on, on where you are in how you want to invest, that will be how you invest. Uh, another passive investment example would be investing in REITs. Um, although the returns are often uh, lower, um, you know, they still give you um, um, access to different types of uh, real estate assets. So you could invest in grocery stores and REITs. You could invest in, um, you know, commercial plazas and REITs. So there, there are different types of investing. Now, those type of investments, you have to understand um, throughout all of the different types of investments, how the person gets paid, right? Um, because it's going to affect the type of results you get and how they work. So for example, as an active investor, you get paid because you own the asset directly. But a mortgage agent that's working for you gets paid by you know, placing a mortgage, the realtor gets paid for by you buying through them, not going off market and buying through somebody else. So there's different motivations that you need to understand. Um, so the same with, uh, you know, different types of, uh, let's say you you go the down the route of being a, a joint venture partner. Well, uh, you know, joint venture partners get paid usually by the results of the work that they do. Um, sometimes, you know, you may be in uh, a limited partnership fund, which is another type of passive investment. Sometimes those funds actually get paid by the, the, uh, and, uh, an acquisition fee or an asset management fee or a disposition fee rather than the success of the project. And for you as an, an, a passive investor, you'd have to understand that. So, um, and every different type of real estate investment that's out there has those different active, semi-passive or passive roles. And then within that, there are different types of uh, investing that you can do. Uh, that is a very thorough explanation of, of the different models that exist. So if we come back to your graph that you have, look, looking at active investment into real estate, there's, there's much more time commitment, less money commitment on your behalf, but much more time. But also the returns are high, higher because you are putting your time you are putting your effort, your sweat, you're putting your time in there. So, and you're putting risk, right? You're, you're, you're taking on risk. So for sure, in active type of real estate investment, you expect more time, you put in less money. Not that you don't put any money, you put in less money, but you also, also take on more risk. So therefore the rewards typically tend to be higher. So Quentin, uh, in your experience, someone one who is an active investor in the type of things that you have done, you know, single unit, unit for four, 94 units, et cetera, what are the type of returns that we're looking at, you know, typically speaking? speaking? <laughs> if I, the problem is, if I, if I tell you, you may not believe me. And, and, and it's a problem with real estate investing, and I'll explain why. So, and let's do something like a simple example. Let's say you're buying a $100,000 property and you're putting 20% down, okay? Yeah. So, and that means that you're putting $20,000 on that property. Now, 
What happens with real estate is that there are multiple ways that you profit. Uh, one of the ways that you profit is appreciation, but the uh, other way that you profit is leverage. So remember, I put 20% down, but the bank is giving me 80% more money. That's right. So that, and, and that's something that you don't get with any other type of investment that's out there. Even if you went to like for a business loan, you maybe they'll give you like 50%. If you like stocks, maybe 50% if you're going to, to leverage your portfolio, right? But with uh, real estate, you're going to get, you know, four to four to one, right? Yeah. And four so times that, leverage, yeah. four times leverage. So if I put 20% down now, my house goes up um, 5%. So $5,000, my return on that appreciation is $5,000 on $20,000. That's right. So, so that's a huge 25% return. On top of that, I'm paying down the mortgage. So maybe next year, my mortgage is only $78,000. So I get another 10% return on the mortgage pay down. What if I'm a, a you know I'm an astute investor and I understand my taxes and I'm able to use depreciation by talking to you know another professional you're you're part of your power team an accountant well that person is going to help you to not to, to be more efficient and and perhaps any income that comes from the your your property is going to be offset with with uh, uh, depreciation and so you're able to to negate any of that coming to you and you're able to to hold on to that asset the other way that we, and this is what I do in in apartment buildings now but you could do in in the same model is you could add value to the property let's say you put an additional $5000 into the property but it's worth $10000 more because you add a new bathroom or you you know added uh, an addition to the property now all of a sudden you've gained even more uh, value and you've added more value through sweat equity which is another thing that you can do in real estate, which which you can't do in really any other asset that I can think of. And all of those things mean that you can get a, a huge return just on owning an asset. And it's why a lot of people will buy assets and um, even be cash flow negative on them because the appreciation, the mortgage pay down, all of the other components to it. Um, but I, I don't advocate that. I always advocate cash flow positive properties, and it's harder to find in, in the GTA in Ontario. It requires more work, but uh, there are lots of opportunities out there. And, um, you know, we can talk about how to do it or, or, or different sure. uh, ways. But, the but you know, from a profit perspective, the returns on real estate have outnumbered any of my other, I've tried a lot of different things. <laughs> I've tried, you know, option trading. I've tried, the only thing that could do more than real estate is owning an active business. That is the only, because it's really depends on how much scale that you put into it and how big, how big you can grow that active business. That's the, that's the only thing that I can think of uh, that is not speculative, right? Um, now, speculative, like I would consider speculative uh, Bitcoin or, you know, um, winning the lottery, <laughs> right. Right? right? That's what I would consider speculative. But from uh, from the different things that I've explored, 
um, you know, and accessibility to everyone um, is if you can have a cash flow positive, and I'm not talking cash flow positive based on mortgage pay down. I mean, I mean cash flow positive at the end of the month, you, because you can hold that asset for a long period of time, and the banks will want to give you more and more money, right? Um, and so there's some there's some challenges in finding it, but those returns can be extremely high, like you know a twenty to forty percent uh, annual return or higher, and um, people won't believe you. They, they like people don't believe the the returns that you get I, I'm just gonna unpack what you've said that there you've many things that I think it's Im important for the audience to know so you mentioned different ways where you can benefit from real estate and the last one that I thought you would say but you didn't and I'm going to say it and you correct correct I'm wrong is the refinancing piece right so you've uh, you've used 20% to buy a 100% so you leverage four times and then you hold on to it and a few years later your 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 asset has grown in value and now you refinance and take your 20% back back um, and when you take your 20% back, your, your net investment into this asset is actually zero. And so, so whatever a positive cash flow that you get from the monthly rental and whatever capital gains that you have, you add all that divided by zero. And I don't know if you were a math teacher when you were a teacher, but I think anything on zero is infinity, right? So yep. the, the return after financing is actually infinity. And so that's another way of making money on real estate. To answer your question, and the, the, the question of, is there another asset that does this as well? I'm not even sure business is a good example because I used to have my business. Uh, I still own, own two of my uh, uh, medical practices. I used to own four. And I can tell you, uh, it's really bad, bad to be in. <laughs> and so it's, it's, a, it's not a, so business can sometimes win big like Tesla or Shopify. But sometimes if you're a restaurant, you can go under very fast. I'm not even sure that a business could equal to what you're saying. And as, as you were talking, there's one that comes to my mind and the audience, my audience needs to know uh, that I really, really love this asset and that's whole life insurance. One thing I, I want to, to point out as well is that uh, with the whole life, because I do have whole life, I have it part of my intergenerational plan. Yeah. The the thing is, the return happens when you die. So, like uh, you know, you can you can accelerate it by using the premium and, and reinvest it. But um, really, that big return happens on the on on death mostly. And so, with real estate, the refinance component and the ability to to take that out and, and reapply it, I think is where like um and have that infinite return is is really something that that I look for. But I, I know that there are a lot of different ways to to invest it in different things. And I'm I, I really enjoy this type of conversation because um you know I 
I, I don't think that I, I know everything, that's for sure. And I have been through the 2008-2009 cycle. And uh, I, I know that um, real estate is always goes through cycles. But that's, the, that's why I say make sure that you have a cash flow positive property. Because if you do, and you can withstand a, a longer period of time, the other thing that I, I actually suggest investors do is stress test their portfolio. So you should always stre- stress test your um, your portfolio against uh, the 10-year rate. So if you're buying a property and you're wondering what's going to happen in the future, you stress test your portfolio by putting the 10-year rate in as your interest rate and see if you still are cash flow positive. And that gives you an opportunity to, if you need to, to lock into that rate. But m- nobody really takes a 10-year rate in Canada. Um, and uh, it just gives you that extra layer of comfort in a longer period of time. And so as long as you can, because the problem with um, being in a downturn in real estate is that you can be, you would be forced to sell. Uh, just say like if you were a negative cash flow, uh, let's say a thousand or two thousand dollars a month, and the value of your asset is going down at the same time, it, it is psychologically like challenging because yeah. you know whereas if you're cash flowing $500 a month and your asset is down you just hold on to it and go for the ride because you, as long as you have um a longer term frame of mind then you'll be okay what ends up happening is people make decisions 10 year decisions based on what's happening in the last 30 days and that's not a great way to invest in real estate Real estate is a long-term type of uh, play, and it's a long-term perspective. I don't, I don't day trade on properties. I did when I was flipping. That's day trading, but I, <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Right? So, <laughs> absolutely, a hundred and twenty percent agree with you. Now, as a as a teacher, you'll probably say it doesn't exist one hundred and twenty percent. But I absolutely agree with you. Uh, everything that you said there, there, um, and for sure, um, and also. Uh, in real estate, it's not just about um, the real estate. It's about about location, location, location. Um, and you know, we see we see, for, for example, in in July, we saw the market dip, um, and the bidding wars have stopped, and homes are selling at discount. But then, if I talk to my real estate agent friends, they say, "Well, it doesn't happen in Toronto. Uh, in Toronto, it's been quite quite slow. It hasn't dropped by that twenty percent." But if you were out in, I don't know, Bowmanville or whatever, yeah, it's a possibility they may drop by 23%. So really, like you say, it's a long-term play. It's it's a long-term investment uh, and having to understand real estate. So think back to your table of the passive Esther, more money commitment, but less time. And what you're saying is this is this is the area for the busy professional. That's where the busy professionals maybe start right start playing uh, and then understand understand the industry understand the investment and then and then slowly if they wanted to to move towards the more active or even go towards the semi passive so i'll i'll let you know i'm all all over the place 
uh, I actually have some active investment. I actually have some really, really passive investment. And I got a lot of semi-passive investment. So I'm all over the place. And I recognize looking at the table, I'm like, yeah, I do all of them. And it's, I think it's natural. Um, some things come up to you and say, you know what, I, I like this idea, like, yeah, like business, I'm going to invest here. And then, but you also want to, you know, do some flipping. Well, you may not, but you may want to own a one, two uh, properties that you may want to play in. And, and eventually you want to play in pre-construction like I did. I, I played in pre-construction. Uh, I'm sure you're, you're also in all three uh, type of investment, uh, uh, Quentin. Yeah, I think yes, you're you're absolutely right. What I what I would say is that everybody starts on one side or the other, mm. right? Yeah, you, you know, you may um, have different positions that you put yourself in depending on what you're doing. Um, but um, so, for example, semi passive. I have I have a, a, a few properties in Tampa, Florida, right? Uh, where I'm hedging against the Canadian economy. I'm getting U.S. dollars, and you know those. It's like um, single family homes and duplexes down there. And uh, I started buying them in 2018. I'm managing the property manager down there. I would consider that semi passive. Um, you know, I do get my my income that comes from there, but I still do have. To, and I ha, I've had to fire a property manager down there before. So there's there you can call it. Uh, I would call it semi-passive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. You can be in different parts at different times. Um, you know, if you're if you're very like if you're a very busy person and your highest and best use is doing something else, you may want to start in passive to see the returns, see if you like it, and then move towards the uh, active side. Right. Um, it, it all depends on on the the person. There's no. I like to say that there's no like right way of doing it. You know, it's just your way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right? Now we, uh, I just want to our conversation about the rates of return. So we said, you know, in active, we were looking typically 25 to 40%. In the very, very passive type of investment, you know, what are the typical numbers in the industry? What are we looking at? Well, so if you're now, if you're a private lender, so that's somebody who's getting interest only, you know, you, it would be like, if it's a first mortgage, it's probably six to 8%. If you're doing private lending in like a second mortgage position, it can be eight to 12%. And that's interest only every year. Mm -hmm. um, you have to remember that um, that's not a great position to be in if you're a high income earner and taking it personal versus like in a corporation. And even then, um, interest income is the highest taxed income and there isn't really great ways to offset it. So uh, and like a 10% a return with somebody who's a high income earner is really a 5% return after tax, right? That's right. Or, so it, it, it's... You actually, you always have to consider the tax consequence of, of your investing uh, because it affects your overall return. Um, if you're thinking about being uh, um, investing in a REIT, for example, uh, REITs are more along the lines of, you know, six to 12%, somewhere in, in that range, some of yep. them, some lower, uh, some higher, depending on what you're doing. But you, but you, you need to remember again, that REITs get paid by uh, assets under management, not managing growth in the asset, right? Um, and then, um, so that that's really there. Then you have what I would call private funds, or I would say, 
Uh, you know, there are lots of them in the world. They maybe do development and things like that. And they're probably get you into the range of, let's say, uh, 15 to 25%. So those private funds are basically, um, you know, they're, they're, they're more risky. Remember, whenever you get higher returns, the risk is always higher, right? Yeah. Um, but if you have somebody who is an expert in what they do, then it reduces the risk. So that's so that's those um, those um, those private funds that are out there. And then you have what I would call like uh, joint venture partnerships, or there's others are, are syndications. Uh, and that can be from the 20 to 40% range, depending on where it is. It could be on a little bit lower than that. It could be higher than that. And that would be direct ownership of, a, of an asset with a, a, a partner that has like a track record, um, has you know, done it for a while, understands the, the, the market. And, and that's where, um, where you play in. So from a, a passive investor side, it really just depends on where you want to be. The other piece is like, do you want cash flow or do you want annual return? Because it's very different. So a private lender is getting, they probably want cash flow. They're not looking for uh, like a, a return, like eight to 10%, right? They're probably looking for money at the end of the month. So oftentimes, um, like we, we may put a second mortgage on a, a, and an asset just to, to better leverage it. We would go to a private lender and oftentimes these private lenders they were they they could be um, high net worth people and they're just looking to have their money or earn money for them so that they can use it for spending money right um, every month so that's that's just a different way of, of looking at it um, whereas investment in in funds or REITs or um, you know, direct ownership of property through a joint venture, that's more along the lines of illiquid, right? You're, you're not really pulling, I mean, REITs have the lower return, but they're, they're more liquid, right? right? Whereas a, a partnership in a fund or a joint venture partnership, you're probably going to be in there for three to five years, maybe even longer. So that, that liquidity is, is, um, is also related to the, to the returns. So uh, I hope that helps with the, the passive side of things. People's idea of passive is, well, I put it in a read, I sit there and I collect my 6%. And, but what you're saying, saying to a no, there's so many varieties, even in passive. Your example is a good one. Uh, you uh, are in partnership with different partners. You bought an asset that has 94 units. Uh, you are the active part of of that investment, the other partners who put in the money or more on the passive side. But for those guys who put in the money, they they consider this a passive investment because you are the one doing all the work. So from your perspective, you're the passive, but from the investors, the other investors' perspective, they're putting it into a, a passive investment. But then what you're saying is you actually own the piece of land, land you own the brick and mortar, you actually hold and you actually have the rental income and appreciation. So even in this type of quote, passive investment, you're still hitting that 25 to 40%.
And so I want I want the audience just to understand that even in passive investment, there's a whole spectrum of what that could mean. Uh, and so if you really wanted that 25 to 40% return, you don't have to necessarily become an active investor yourself and dedicate the time and sweat. Uh, and I think that's the point you're making. Uh, yeah. and, and that's why that's your type of, of proposal and offering to the market is, is quite unique. And there, and I'm not the only one that does this. So there, there are lots of people that do this. And I think as a passive investor, there is a little bit of due diligence that you need to be able to do. One is like, where do you find these type of people, right? You, you want to, you know, you're listening to podcasts, you go to networking events, you ask other professionals who you work with, if they are doing this with somebody else, right? All of those things. But, and then once you find somebody, then it's really about doing the due diligence on them um, because um, there is the risk. And usually the risk is the partner. A good partner will make a, a bad deal go well or a, a bad partner will make a good deal go bad, <laughs> right? Absolutely. And so it's about betting on the, the jockey, not the horse. Um, and that means that you have to uh, really, you know, talk to talk to them, get to their background, look at previous deals that they've done, um, make sure that they have a long track record, good reputation, check that they have they don't have a criminal record. Um, you know, all of those things are things that you would want to do. And then once you find that person, then then you know you can you know explore something small usually. And then once you see that it works, then you then you go bigger. Right. That's that's the key, because at least that's what I found that um, in the past is just. Uh, and by the way, I can like people like me, um, if they're doing it right, they can only work with accredited investors. Right. That's that's a criteria. If they're they're doing these type of partnerships and they're working with people that aren't accredited investors, there could be some trouble there in the future so it's there there are all these pieces that come into play and um, you know it's taken a lot of time to learn all this um, and uh, I think that you know uh, anybody can do it but I, I'm not special like I, I really am not uh, I just am determined and I really enjoy what I do I have no plans on not doing it anymore Right. No. So I, I, I would disagree with you, Quentin, and you are special. Okay. So oh, you are you. special, um, but you're right. You're not the only one doing it in the industry. Many people do do it. I, I agree. And it's a question of, you know, doing your due diligence, like in anything. Uh, if you're going to invest in anything, you must do your due diligence anyway. Uh, also, the other thing that you mentioned many times, uh, private lending, in case the audience doesn't know what private lending is. So there are some people who just have a lot of money, they have a lot of wealth, and they instead of having their money sitting at a bank doing nothing, they lend that money to other pe people. Um, and some of you may say, well, wait a minute, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I don't have money, I'm, I'm not wealth. Uh, well, there's such a thing called a arm's length lending from your RRSP. So if you have RRSPs, there is way to lend money at arm's length. That's another topic for another day. Yeah. But but uh, I'm, I'm sure you have come across those as well, Quentin. Yes, I, I've done it myself. And yeah. I also borrow funds as well. So I'm, I, that would be a, a great if, if you'd like to have me back, I'm happy to discuss that too. <laughs> I would I would have you back any day. So just put it on your calendar. I'm going to have Quentin back. We're going to talk, talk about 
RRSP arm's length lending. Okay, so now that we wrap that part up, now in your table and in your you know spectrum of investment characteristics, you know other than busy professionals, we know they like to be in the more you know passive. Are there personality types or characteristic types that drive people more towards one type of investing versus another? Right. So um, one of the things that I do when I talk to people uh, um, is I want to find out more about their personality and how they act with me. Um, if they're looking to be the driver and not be on a seat on the bus, then they are um, more the active investor. And that's not really the type of person that I look for, but that's a, the, the, the person who would probably be the somebody who's interested in details, wants to, to know how much, like how much to the penny is in the bank account, um, wants to, to uh, talk directly to all the different trades. Uh, they want to, to see the, you know, um, the receipts on different uh, invoices and bills. Um, and see them as soon as they come in, right? Those are all things that um, somebody who is more of an active investor, they like to manage people. That, uh, that would be somebody who I would say is more the active investor. Um, somebody who is semi-passive may be okay with looking at it at the end of the month or at the end of a quarter or something like that. Um, maybe they don't want to be involved in too much of the day-to-day, -day, but just enough to have their finger on it. Um, and then uh, uh, I would say that a, a passive investor, they just want to get the gist of what's going on, get an update, uh, make sure that they know that the, the direction is good. And that's about it. Right. And they, they don't need to feel that they are um, in control of um, of where everything is going. Uh, they just want to know that it's in good hands. So. You know, depending on your personality, yes, it will very much depend on the type. And the, the truth is that you can have different types of investing and be active, semi-passive and passive, right? You, like we talked about at the very beginning. And it just depends on what your interests are. So you may be very interested in uh, semi um, single family homes or duplex conversions because you're interested in the process. You've heard a lot about it. You want to get involved and do it directly. Well, that means that you would be, you know, active in that asset class. Um, you've heard that development is a, has great returns and you're interested in, you know, private, you know, funds that deal with development. So you're going to be passive on that because you're, there's no way you're going to do a development project right right now but you want to take advantage of the returns that you've seen in it. So you would be passive on that. So it just depends too on what your needs and wants are, as well as your personality. I'm, I'm ready, uh, Quentin, show me the light. I'm, I'm ready. I, I want to invest in real estate. I hear it's great. I hear it's better than sliced bread, but I'm a busy doctor or I'm a busy nurse. How do I get started? What are the things that I should do? Do name me five things that I should get my ducks in a row for me to be ready. What would you say those five things should be? Um, the number one is you, you need to educate yourself. So take the time, listen to podcasts. There's lots of podcasts on on uh, investing in real estate. Uh, I've got one. Uh, 
uh, get real wealthy. Bigger pockets is another one. Uh, the challenge is the amount of time that it takes, but educate yourself, read books. I've got a couple books to, to help, but like there are lots of real estate investing books that are out there uh, that, can, that can help on that topic. The, the, second, the second really big thing is to decide on an area. So defining where you want to invest is very important because it could take you just a lots of time to figure that out. So you want in that realm, you want to think about where are people moving to? Is there demographic growth that's happening there, right? What, what are the economic fundamentals of that market? Is it like, do we have multiple uh, ways that people are uh, have jobs there? Or is it like a mining town with only one, you know, big uh, job? I, I don't like those places. I like to see multiple, um, you know, job diversity. Uh, I want to see, um, you know, in, in those areas, I, I want to also see uh, investment by the, the municipality, the province, the federal government. I want to see that type of investment happen. So all of those things are, are the things that I look for in an area. So th that's number two. Number three is you have to build a power team. You want to be able to decide on, first of all, who is an agent, real estate agent in the area that understands real estate investing? There are 97% of the agents out there do not own a rental property. It surprised me, but they don't understand real estate investing. You have to find the 3% that actually understands real estate investing. So you need to find a, a good real estate investor, realtor. That's somebody that, that's going to help you. You need to find a good... Uh, mortgage agent or bank um, uh, broker, like a mobile mortgage agent that's going to be able to help you to work with investment property. Not the So the same with the agent, same with the, the mortgage agent, not your friend, not the person that you that, that's your brother or sister, a person that has the expertise, okay? Then you're going to need to find a property manager in that area or a property management company or you're going to have to learn how to do property management yourself. Luckily, I have two books on that <laughs> because people kept asking about it. I just wrote the books. So it's there. Okay. So that's, that, those are a couple of the power team members that, that you're going to need. You're also going to need an accountant and you're going to need a lawyer too, right? Those are, those, like, those are your power team members that can, that can help you to, to grow. Okay. So, so we're building our power team. The next thing you've got to do, number four, is you have to set up your schedule and make the time to go out and visit properties. You are going to have to take the time to physically go to the properties, see what makes sense, see what doesn't make sense. Okay, You're going to want to visit the areas where the properties are located. You're going to want to see is everybody home during the day? I guess pre-COVID, we probably would have, you know, found that more curious than, than not. Now, maybe you have people who are working from home, but at the same time, what you want to see is, you know, people out in the workforce working, right? You want to see the, the type of um, clientele that you're going to have in your rental property. So you're going to want to know what's going on there. So visiting the area, visiting the properties, talking to neighbors, um, all of that is Im important to, uh, to be able to, to get a sense from 
just, you know, we've already decided that this is the area we're going to invest in, but then this is the neighborhood now that we're going to invest in. Okay. Uh, and then, good. yeah. Uh, just to that, that sometimes if you have a good agent, the, the good agent can give you all those analytics. Uh, if let's say you're, you're, I'm a busy cardiologist, I'm a busy surgeon and, and I want to do this and it's my first or second home. I don't have time to go do all of this. Finding a good agent who understand investment property, not, not just the residential, but understand investment property. Sometimes the agent working with that agent can actually do that for, for you. Absolutely. Yeah. They could shortcut the process, um, but you should still, you should still, um, once the agent gives you the direction of exactly where you, they, they think that you should um, look at, yeah. I would still go and do like a cursory uh, drive around look and, and see what's going on. But yes, for sure, that definitely helps and, and saves the, the process there. Got it. So, so what's number, number five? You, number, number, five four? number five. Number five. Number five is you have to actually put offers on properties. You cannot buy properties without putting offers. There is nothing that frustrates me more that people say that they they um, they haven't been able to buy a property. And then I ask them, well, how many offers have you put? And then I get the answer, none. <laughs> well, you can't buy properties without actually putting offers in, okay? So make sure that you're, you know, when you put your offer in, that you do a performa so you understand what the actual cash flow of this, the, the property is. You use tools like um, Rentometer or just look on Kijiji of what the rents are for a given area. And you can see what the actual rents are. and then, Or you can ask your, your agent because they can help you to be able to define that. But I would always trust but verify. Even what an agent says. Remember, how do they get paid? They get paid by doing the transaction. So trust, but verify. So um, once you've decided that, you know, the performa makes sense and um, this property is going to be a good asset that I can hold on to for a long period of time, then you put an offer in, right? Number five, Number you can't five. buy properties without putting offers. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. So I like, I like those top five tips for the novice investor. Um, and oh, I, I would add one more. I would add one more. And, and that is don't procrastinate, right? Don't procrastinate because uh, a lot of us have been thinking about it for years and years and years and never taken that first step to actually even educate ourselves or not even take, taking the first step to talking and getting engaged with a real estate agent that understands the business because we're going to do it. We're going to do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And then I got busy and I'm now opening my fifth clinic and I'm even busier than before. And so don't procrastinate. If, if, if this is something that you think will add value to your personal life and your financial and your career, uh, take, take that first step. But I agree with you. Absolutely. Education, education, education. Okay, well, there you have it. This was a great podcast, a great primer to real estate investment. As And as you can see, there's a lot of things that one can do in real estate. And uh, the spectrum is very wide, whether we are talking about passive uh, real estate investment, active or even semi-active. And in each of these categories, there are lots of nuances. 
And so therefore, this is the beautiful thing about real estate investment is that there's so many things that one can do. And so please don't lock your mind into just three categories. Even without, even within these three categories of things to do, there are so many variations. And I'm certain that one of these will probably fit your lifestyle, your philosophy, and your investment strategy. Okay, folks, that was the end of the podcast. And if you did enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, your colleagues, with your neighbors, your dogs, or your cats. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys next time. And if you do have any comments or feedback, please email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.